And let's open our Bibles, and I want you to look with me into uh, static. Out, you devil. Here we go, static. Uh, Acts chapter 27, and uh, let's go down there in uh, verse 9. And what I want to speak on this morning is on governing your metron, governing your metron. It's the second in a series called Apostolic People or Apostolic Calling. And uh, we saw last week how God is raising up a people in this hour to be apostolic. Apostolic means they're sent. People who have a, a commission, they're sent to do something. And uh, we understand an apostle has a particular calling to be sent by God to some place to break open the spiritual atmosphere, reach in and unpack lives, and change what's happening in a community, lay in a foundation for change in the community. Uh, but the apostolic people are also a people sent who carry a particular empowering of God. God wants you to see yourself as a missionary, someone sent, someone with purpose, someone with calling. And uh, we looked at it last week and we, we saw that God has designed for every person something called a metron. The word metron just means to measure out an area or sphere of influence or an area of authority. So we saw when we were looking last week at the word metron that uh, it uh, is an area where God has given you responsibility to extend His kingdom, to bring the power of heaven into the earth. And uh, we looked at the original couple, Adam and Eve, and we saw that God planted, God planted a garden, or God prepared a metron for them, an area that they would be responsible for. And God placed them in the garden, and He gave them two commands. He told them that they were to dress or cultivate that area, and they were to guard or protect it, implying that there was an enemy that would come into the garden and would seek to destroy what God had given them responsibility for. And we saw there how Adam and Eve were given a wonderful realm, an area, an opportunity, a metron, a garden entrusted to them, and they were responsible to cultivate it and produce fruit, and in doing so would honor God. This was their work. This was their life work. Their life work was a part of their worshiping God because the word to dress the land also meant to work in the land, to cultivate the land, also to worship God. So we saw that the work that man was given is not something bad, it's actually part of our worship. Now we want to pick up the second aspect of it, particularly the word where God said, I want you to keep it, which means put a hedge around it or have an oversight over the garden. To oversight something means you step up into higher ground so you can see everything that's going on. You step up into a higher area where you have a sense of responsibility for all that is happening there. To oversight something means you occupy the higher ground where you have a sense of responsibility for it and you are watching if anything would come to destroy or to take away or to damage in any way. So Adam and Eve were given the two responsibilities. Then we saw that God has given to every person a metron, a sphere of influence, a responsibility an assignment. And in your life right now, you have an assignment, an area of responsibility God has given you. And we saw that that area of responsibility included your personal life, to cultivate it and to protect or guard it, your relationship with God, to cultivate it, protect it, uh, your finances, to cultivate and protect them, your family, to cultivate and protect them, 
your workplace to cultivate, develop, guard it from uh, invasion of destructive forces. Uh, your neighborhood to cultivate it, guard it, protect it from destructive forces. And ultimately, wherever you are is your matron because God is with you and you are a walking representative. When I taught in a school, then the classroom and the people that came in there were my metron. So I took it into my heart, not just to pray for them, but to take dominion over spirit powers, release the blessing of God into that place, and to give myself creatively with the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to make sure that every child's experience in my classes was a good experience and that they grew and they prospered. It was a metron. Now, you have to understand that when God gives you a metron, it is an entrustment. No one else gets it. Your life is yours. No one else gets your life. It's yours. If you give it up to the control of another, then you have no longer dominion over your life. Now you are able to, unable to cultivate or govern your metron. So your life is your responsibility. Now, all of those things I listed, they're your responsibility. There's no one can actually fulfill them. You are where you are because God put you there. That's your metron. Wherever you are, then around you, you can have an influence. And you have to make a decision whether you will welcome the responsibility God has got for you. Because this responsibility that He's given to you is where He sent you to apostolically advance the kingdom of God. And what, not only that, but that you have a time, you have a limited span of life, and when that comes to an end, you enter eternity, and what you did with your metron qualifies you for reward all eternity. And so if you neglect your metron during life, then you suffer loss of many blessings that God intended you to have in eternity. The metron God gave to you is unique to you, to your passions, gifting, desires, the way God has made you, and it's so unique to you that only you can fulfill it. And if you will fulfill it, God will expand that metron, and in eternity, He will increase what you are given to look after and to be responsible for. So right now, you are having an apprenticeship, an apprenticeship that will go on into eternity where it finds its fulfillment ultimately. So what are you doing with your metron? Well, we know what Adam and Eve did. They failed to govern it. Adam failed to protect his metron from demonic influence. He failed to challenge the serpent. He failed to step in and confront demonic activity, assert his authority, and guard and govern his wife and protect his wife. He failed to speak up and govern the garden, the metron God had given him. And the consequences have gone on to every generation since. You experience sickness or weakness, and of aging and death, primarily because someone failed to govern their metron. Think about that. And I wonder for the generation following us, what they will suffer and lack if we fail to govern our metron. God's intention is that we should govern our metron, cultivate our metron, and the next generation would step into it and go further. This is a very, very important. Okay, let's have a look in Acts chapter 27. I want us just to read an example of someone governing their metron and changing what was around them. We have a look at Paul, and we pick it up in verse 9. 
And uh, Paul is in a, in a boat, or they're about to go on a boat. When much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because of the fast, it was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only for the cargo of the ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman, the owner of the ship, than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest, and winter there. Now when the south wind blew softly, supposing they'd obtained their desire, they put out from sea and sailed close by Crete. But not long after a tempestuous, that's a great word, tempestuous headwind arose. And the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, so they let it run. And it ran under the shelter of an island, and so on and so forth. Now you notice it went into huge difficulty. Verse 18, and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship and they threw some of the cargo, the tackle, with our own hands. Now verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the tempest, no small tempest beat on us, all hope we would be saved finally was given up. They resigned themselves, they're going to die. Now then, after a long absence from food or a fast, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you, take heart, for there shall be no loss of life among you, only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Take heart, men, for I believe God, it will be just as was told me. Verse 44, and so it was. All of them, 276 persons in the boat, escaped safely to land. Now let's first of all look at it just quickly and just see the overview, the bigger picture. What has happened here, Paul is in chains. He's a prisoner. He's a jailbird, convict. So the modern equivalent would be in there being the back of a paddy wagon in chains, being driven somewhere. But what's happening now is he has a centurion and a whole number of soldiers guarding him, and their, their command or mandate is to take him as a, as a prisoner and to take him to Rome, to take him to appear before Caesar. And so who's going to listen to the advice of the convict? Who's going to listen to the counsel of the prisoner? Who's going to listen to the person who's in chains? Now you notice what happened here. No one's listening to Paul. See, Paul said, I perceive that this journey will be with much loss. And so he appealed. But the, the man in charge, the centurion, said, man, this looks good. The owner of the ship said, this looks good. The helmsman who ran the ship, this looks good. The people who were in the ship, manning the ship, this looks good. The circumstances, this looks good. Actually, they were heading for a disaster. And the only one who knew was the man who was in touch with God. Many times, circumstances can look good to people around us, but a spiritual person can see what's really happening. Paul was a spiritual man. He was able to pick what was about to happen. So he tried to warn them. Did anyone take any notice? No one took any notice. He was virtually one lone voice in the middle of a whole shipload. Now, that's 286 people. And you know what 296 people are saying? It's good weather, we should go. You know what one man's saying? 
I perceive in my spirit there's going to be much loss, not just to the ship and its cargo, but to lives as well. One man could see something others could not see. Now, I want you to see in this situation, Paul starts off as the prisoner in chains, going to Rome, condemned man, and here he is, he's got no, apparently, no influence, no authority, nothing, no one's listening to him, and then you have a look a little later, and now he's standing, everyone is listening to him, everyone's responding to him, he is giving counsel, he's giving direction, he's telling them what they must do in order to be saved. He gives direction to the centurion, and the centurion listens to him. When the soldiers want to kill him, he, the centurion stops. Paul has arisen from being a prisoner someone overlooked, someone with no voice, to now being the governing influence over the whole ship. This is a classic example of an apostolic believer arising with governing authority. This is a classic example of a person despised, rejected, no one taking any notice of them, and yet they arise and because of spiritual influence begin to affect the course of everyone's lives. You are called to be such a person. You are called to be that kind of person. Maybe no one's listening to you right now. Maybe you're in some kind of prison, some kind of low place, some kind of place where no one takes any notice of you, but somehow God has put something in your spirit that in that metron, in that place where you are, that it's possible for you to arise and to have an influence which causes people around you to respond and yield and their lives become saved. Every believer is sent by God into an area. You've got your own ship that God has placed you in. And God calls you in the midst of that to arise in your spirit and begin to have a governing influence. To govern means to have a prevailing influence over what's happening. God calls you to arise and begin to have a prevailing influence. Now, I want to show you some things that Paul did that we can find, some simple keys, how you move from no one's listening to you and then everyone's listening to you and they need your advice. That's a good thing, isn't it, eh? So let's go through it. Now, the first thing we find as we look through this, we find in verse 24, there stood by, uh, verse, the, the angel said, uh, verse 24, don't be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed, look at this, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God has given to you everyone that's sailing with you. Now, when you're in a boat, and the boat's in a storm, and the boat is about to sink, and all hope for everyone has gone, the hardened sailors, experienced sailors are given up, they're absolutely convinced there's a, the boat's going to sink, there's no hope of anything, they've lightened it, they've tried everything they can, everything they did didn't work. And in the midst of it now, Paul's, God says to Paul, I have given you the whole 286 people in the ship. How come God gave him those people? Very simply, because this boat or the ship that Paul is in has become his metron. That's where he is. Therefore, it's his metron. It's his place to influence. And so we know absolutely without doubt that Paul went into a place of prayer. One of the first keys in beginning to have a governing influence or prevailing influence is you must embrace your metron and the people in it in your heart. You have to hold them in your heart. You can't look at them and judge them. He couldn't look at them and say, well, you stupid people, you didn't listen to me. Well, you all go down on the ship, and especially you soldiers with all that armor, you're all going down. He could have had that attitude, 
He could have said, well, you know, you didn't listen to me, now you'll learn. But he had no such attitude. What he did was, he refused to be offended by the people or by his circumstance. He he enlarged his heart. And in his heart, he reached out and he welcomed the 286 people into his heart. He embraced every one of them. He took a position of responsibility spiritually for them. He enlarged his heart to embrace people and take responsibility for them and their welfare. If you are going to have a governing influence spiritually over your metron, you must look at who is in your metron and what is in your metron and put your arms around it and begin to embrace it into your heart and assume responsibility for it. You do that in prayer. In prayer, you reach out, you begin to see, and you embrace it, and you say, thank you, Lord, for what you have given me. I fully accept responsibility. And as you expect, uh, accept responsibility, you begin to stand in a higher place now inside your heart. It's not a position of uh, natural authority. It's a positioning in the heart where you have welcomed what God has entrusted you, and now you're beginning to pray and intercede. You're beginning to start to stand against the storms and stand against the things that are coming into that situation. You're beginning to pray for the blessing of God, the life of God, the salvation of God to come into it. We know he must have done that because the Bible says God has given him the people. When a husband refuses to step up and assume spiritual responsibility in his home, he leaves the garden of his marriage and family unattended and unguarded. Spiritual powers are able to come in and create havoc. When parents do not assume responsibility spiritually to build an atmosphere over their children, to take dominion over the influences coming around them, they leave their children exposed and vulnerable. When you're in a workplace, and you refuse to rise in your heart and refuse to govern the spiritual atmosphere, whatever it wants to will come in there. There is a law in the realm of the Spirit that if you vacate what God made you responsible for, something else will come in and take control over it and use that positioning in the Spirit to abuse you. When Adam fell, he fell from a realm of the Spirit in authority. Demons occupied that realm and have used it to harass, torment, and abuse people ever since. You cannot afford to step back in your heart because you were offended, disappointed, rejected, hurt, knocked back, or whatever, and not stay in that place. When you don't stay in that place, then it becomes occupied by something else. You are responsible for the spiritual atmosphere in your metron. You are responsible for what prevailing forces and energy is there. You are. No one else. Because it's your metron. It's God's entrustment to you. You've got to decide whether like Adam you'll be silent or whether you'll become like Paul and change it. You decide that. Here he is in a boat. For all things, he's down in the bottom of the hold. And the prisoners aren't kept in a very nice place to be down in the bottom of the hold in a stormy ship, seasick as can be. There he is in chains and miserable, and yet he arises and gives direction to it all. Oh, that's great. Joseph did the same thing. There he is in prison, and yet he arose, and he was able to affect a nation, govern a nation, had a prevailing influence. This is how it works. So the first thing is, you must, hold, you must assume responsibility for the people and, and for your metron. Now, you mustn't assume what isn't yours. We can't presume 
to tell people what to do. We can't presume to make decisions for other people. We can't presume to impose our will on other people. What we can do is take dominion over the spirits that have come in and clear the spiritual atmosphere and make room for God and the angels of God to come. And that's what he did because angels turned up. Okay, the second thing is we must trust and lean upon the anointing that God has given to us. In verse 10, he says, notice what he says in verse 10, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. See how he identifies with them? He sees it as his metron. Notice that word perceive. That word perceive means to see something with your eyes. Now, God has given you an anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When you got saved and you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are empowered by the Spirit of God. In 1 John 2, 27, it says, Now the unction or the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that unction you have received remains in you. So God gave you when you got born again, you get filled with the Spirit, He gives you an anointing to enable you to function in your metron. If God has designed a metron, an area for you to be responsible in, He then will back you up with authority in it and He has given you the Holy Ghost to help you govern it. You have to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit in this. In order to be able to govern for God, I must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In order to be able to advance the kingdom of God, I must know what the Holy Spirit is saying. I have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. So it says you have received an anointing of the Holy One, and that anointing you've received remains in you. So you got it, you've got it, you've got it. You have to learn how to arise inside and develop the anointing within you so you begin to flow with it. The anointing within you teaches you all things. What does the anointing within you do? It teaches you how to succeed. It teaches you what to not do. It teaches you and gives you ideas how to govern your metron. The Holy Spirit warns us about things happening. He puts a little edge inside. You feel a little reserve. You feel a hesitancy. You feel a little concern. And people say everything is right. Notice what Paul did. The people said, that, you notice all the people that spoke up and they said, it's going to be fine. It's great for a, the, the, the centurion, the, the governing authority said, it's going to be fine. The helmsman said, it's going to be fine. The owner said, fine. Everyone said, it's going to be fine. But Paul listened to the witness of his spirit and inside him, the Holy Ghost is saying, not fine. That's how we're to live our life sensitive to the Holy Spirit inside. And when he says it's not good, it's not good. When he says something's going down with the kids, something's going down with the kids. When he says there's something happening there, something's happening there. We have to learn to develop sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. So how do you do that? Well, you pray in tongues. You speak in the spiritual language and energize your spirit man. You keep the Word of God in your mind and heart. You expect God to speak to you. You expect God to give you advice. You expect the Holy Spirit to show you things. We don't know what to pray nor how to pray as we ought. The Holy Ghost helps us. Whatever God has put you in, he can give you ideas how to make it succeed. You're not on your own. You're never on your own anymore. You may have grown up alone. You may have grown up and there was no one to help you. But now you've got a helper. He's called the Holy Ghost. 
It's nice if we can have people to help us. God brings people to help us. But listen, you do have a helper. He's called the Holy Ghost. This is the same Paul that said, when I first stood up, no man stood with me, but God stood with me. That's the kind of person. You might be in a workplace or school. You're the only Christian there. Listen, God is with you. God is with you. We need to have an awareness, Emmanuel, God with me. God is with me. He will help me. I have to listen. I have to believe to receive advice from Him. God speaks where there's expectation and faith. When did you last hear the voice of the Holy Spirit giving you an idea, causing you to be warned about something, showing you something's not right, prompting you to do something? Listen, when you've welcomed your metron into your heart and the people and whatever's involved in there, then you can arise in your spirit and as you look over it, Holy Ghost will show you things. He'll show you things that nobody else sees. He will show you things. That's His job, to show you things, to show you things to come. That's to give you vision for the future, to show you what's going on and warn you, to show you what's happening. He can do it. He can do it. Come and have a look. Have a look what it says in here now. He says, notice this. He says, we have to trust and lean on the Holy Ghost. Let me give you a couple of other things. The next thing is, we need to develop some kind of direction and purpose. Paul had a clear purpose. Notice what he said. The angel of the Lord, see, to whom I belong and whom I serve, as 24 said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must come before Caesar. So he had a very clear direction. And one of the things is this. is whatever your metron is, you need to not only assume responsibility and listen to the Holy Spirit, you need to begin to start to develop vision of what it could be. What could be in your workplace? Don't look at what is, what could be. What could be in your marriage? Don't look at what is, look beyond it to what could be. Don't look at your, uh, what your finances are, look at what could be. Don't just look at the now, because what, can, what is seen can pass away, but what is eternal is eternal. We've got to learn to look and let God develop a vision, what we could be. Can you see us growing? Can you see your friends being saved? When you walk into your school or your workplace, do you see they can be saved? When I came onto the scene in my wife's family, they just thought, he's a Catholic. That's it. But someone prayed. And someone saw what others couldn't see, that I could be a man of God. And they prayed, and then they stood and said, it's okay, it's okay. He's as good as saved right now. Will you do that in your metron for the people around you? Will you stand and unlock the powers of darkness off them so they can see clearly and be free to make a choice? This is what so many people trouble to respond to Christ because their lives are locked with spiritual darkness. We can arise and take dominion over that. You can't make them come to Christ. At least you can free it up so they can hear them. Hey? And here's the next part. You have to learn how to exercise spiritual authority in prayer over any ungodly spirit activity in your metron. Notice verse 24. God has granted you all those who sail with you. God has granted them. So he travailed in prayer. Now listen, let me share a couple of things. In Luke 4, in verse 33 through about 36, Jesus is in a church meeting. You know what? Church meeting is his metron. 
And so what he does then, a demon arises and begins to challenge him. Immediately he arises and he did what Adam didn't do. He asserted spiritual authority over it and the thing vanished. When? They said what authority and power he's got. But he's a model for us. Whatever comes into your garden, whatever comes into the area you are spiritually responsible for, you need to confront it. Spiritual authority is real. You can hear it. You can feel it. When someone's got authority, you can feel it. Spiritual authority can be felt. Spiritual authority is real. Spiritual authority is real. Spiritual authority is tangible. Spiritual authority is recognized in the spirit world. And you have authority where you have responsibility. Demons will respond to your authority if you will persevere. But the key to exercising that authority is to know where I stand with God to be submitted to His plan, and when He gives directions, then I arise and speak. Speak strongly into the spirit world. How do you do it? It's not very hard. It's actually quite easy. You need to pray in tongues and look into the realm where your authority lies. Look into the realm that maybe it's just looking into your personal life. Maybe it's looking into your workplace. And as you pray, you ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's there. As you pray, you'll start to feel the things that are there. You'll begin to feel them. You become aware of them. So perhaps there's a rejection operating. Perhaps there's a heaviness operating. Perhaps there's some kind of thing that's holding people back. And you become aware of it. It's your responsibility. Arise inside. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take dominion over you. I bind and forbid your activity and operation. I release the presence, the power, the blessing of Almighty God. You are called to do that. You are a gateway to the supernatural. The church is the house of God, the gate of heaven. If you won't pray that way, how will blessing be released? Parents can pray over their children, protection and blessing. You can pray into your business, pray into your neighborhood. Change what exists by overcoming the spiritual powers and releasing God to move. God moves when men pray. Demons move when men pray. Natural circumstances change when men pray. And if we don't pray, if we are silent like Adam, then it's no wonder that there are snakes in the garden. It's no wonder there are snakes in your life. No wonder there are snakes in your finance. No wonder there are snakes in the classroom. No wonder there's snakes in the workplace because no apostolic believing person rose up and asserted their authority and said, that's my Metron, no demon activity. I'm taking authority now and forbidding them to operate. That's what Jesus said, the church I'm building, the gates of hell, the doorways that demons operate through, they'll never prevail because the church I'm building will rise up and shut the gates down and open the gates of heaven and blessing to flow. Friend, can you imagine if this church grew and grew and grew and every believer when they walked out that door they understand that's my metron that's my calling that's my place and you began to govern it in the spirit and pray in the spirit and push against the powers of darkness and release the blessing of God I wonder if something would happen I wonder what would happen do you realize that is God's intention that is what God is stirring the church to in this hour to go out there and look and say, 
The city belongs to Jesus Christ because my Bible says the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Devil, you're squatting in there and this happens to be the peace God gave me and I'm declaring war now. I'm standing against you. I'm holding the word of God over you. As I pray, angels will be released. That's what Paul did. Got in the boat, all hope's gone. He prayed, angels are released. And then he begins to change everything. What an amazing thing. Amazing thing. You have to maintain pressure until you get the breakthrough. Does it get difficult? Of course it gets difficult. Do you have a bit of lashback? Of course you have a bit of lashback. You've got to get tough. You're called to go out there and make a difference. You're called to go out there and make your life count for Jesus Christ. Paul said, I don't, my life doesn't worry me too much. I'm just determined to finish the race and do it well. I've got eternity in mind. and It's getting closer and closer and closer. I'm going to do my very, very best. Fantastic. Here's the last thing we need to do. We need to also get practically involved. I won't develop that too much, but we need to get practically involved. Listen what happens. I want to show you something here. It says here in verse 23, 24, an angel of the Lord stood by him saying, don't be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar and God has granted you all those who sail with you. Now notice now he has a word from God. But just because he's got a word from God doesn't mean he just assumes everything's going to work out. Just because he prayed and an angel came and gave him a word of God did not mean it was all going to work out. Later on, he observed something. He observed the sailors and he perceived. The sailors, this is what they did. They lied. They said, we're going to put a boat over the side and we're just going to make sure the, the, the rudder and the things on the ship are okay. But what they were planning to do was to abandon the ship and everyone on it. And if you read down a few verses down, you'll find this is what Paul perceived this. And it says, see verse 30, the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship. And when they let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors for the prow, Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you will never be saved. Isn't that amazing? So we don't just assert spiritual authority and intercede and be involved in prayer and releasing blessings. You actually have to at times stand up and speak up. Notice he didn't tell the centurion what to do. He just said, if you don't, this is what's about to happen. These guys are about to wreck all that God has told me. And there's going to be a huge loss of life. We can never assume just because we've got a word of God that it does not involve us being involved in it working out. You have to present yourself and speak up. You have to at some point identify the things that we need to stand up about. And so, he's, and what the soldiers did, they cut the boat off. They said, we're sticking with the boat. We're believing Paul. Now that is governing authority. He has totally shifted from no one believing him to now the soldiers are acting on his advice. He never usurped the steering's authority. He just gave him advice. This is what I see is about to happen. Later on, the soldiers were going to kill him, and the centurion protected him. 286 souls that day were saved. 286 men went home to their families that day because one man had a governing prevailing influence. 286 men did not perish in the waters and end up in eternity lost because one man stood up and made a difference. And that was only part of his metron. I wonder what boat you're in. 
I wonder what it is God says, that's your Metron. It doesn't matter if you're in the lowest parts. No one knows who you are. Friend, if you will step up and make yourself known before God and begin to intercede, begin to pray, begin to listen to the Holy Ghost and assert spiritual pressure and engage your Metron, I tell you, something will change. God will lift you up. You will become visible and noticeable. Things around you will begin to manifest and change. This is what it means to be apostolic people. It's to not step back and say, oh, well, I guess that's what it's like. It's to step up and say, God, it's my metron. I'm going to govern it and cultivate it in Jesus' name. And my life will bring honor to you. And wherever I go, wherever I am, people will say, we were glad that person was here. They brought such blessings.